So we're give it about 10 seconds and then I'll do my introductory blurb and then I, um, I'm admitting all participants as well. Great. Good morning, Madam uh, Mayor Kelman and Vice Mayor Blaustein. This meeting has been held pursuant to government code section 54953E and in light of the declared state of emergency, the regular meeting of the special meeting of the Legislative Review Committee for February 28, 2022 will be conducted telephonically through Zoom and broadcast live on the city's website. Great, thank you very much, Serge. Okay, so now welcome everybody to the special Legislative Review Committee meeting for Monday, February 28th, uh, 2022, being held via Zoom, of course. Um, we'll go ahead and call to order. Um, so I don't know if Serge, you just wanna for the record, I call myself and the vice mayor. Vice Mayor Blaustein. Present. Mayor Kelman. Present. Great, thank you. Um, I don't see uh, any you know, approval of the agenda or anything like that. So I'll just ask the vice mayor, do you have any uh, edits or comments on the agenda? No, no edits on the agenda. Okay, great. So then we will uh, get started on our business items. Uh, we have two today. Item 2A is amendment to the solid waste sections of the municipal code to address the Senate Bill 1383 compliance. So I will hand that over to whichever member of staff is handling that for us today. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, this is Kevin McGowan, Department of Public Works, and I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. So um, Elena Lip from our, our um, community development department and Rosalind Thompson has really stepped up to help us with this uh, item specifically. And it relates to solid waste um, and some of the changes coming through from the state of California. And we have a, a consultant on board with us today. Rose Radford is with us. She is with R3, the R3 group, I think it is. And she's gonna lead us through a presentation on this item and hopefully answer any of your questions that come up as well. Rosalind, did I miss anything before we turn it over to, to Rose? No, you did not. All right, thank you so much. So Rose, um, hopefully Serge, you can give her um, the co-host function so she can step into her presentation. So thank you, Rose. Good morning. Um, and it does look like I do have co-host permission so let me share my screen. So Rose Radford, R3 Consulting, um, and we're a consultant for uh, cities and counties and the state on solid waste matters. Um, we're working with most of the jurisdictions in Marin County, um, and we assisted uh, your city staff in, in compiling the language of the ordinance. Uh, today I will be presenting on um, the Senate Bill 1383 um, as uh, broadly, um, and then as it relates to the municipal code update that's before you. Um, and I, I would also just, I'm gonna apologize. This is a terrible time of day for my camera. I just get a lot of glare. So I hope that it's not distracting. Right, so uh, first I'll be going through the background, then details on the municipal code. And then also what um, this looks like in engagement with your solid waste hauler, Bay City's refuse. So SB 1383 is the Short-Lived Climate Pollutants Reduction Act, and it focuses mainly on organic waste. And it's um, organic waste is essentially what you put in your um, green cart at home. So that's uh, yard clippings, vegetative matter, and also uh, food scraps 
and food soil paper. So uh, broadly, the state is focusing on organic waste um, and your existing program already includes uh, collection of those materials. So this waste stream is important because it's actually two thirds of what's disposed at landfills uh, currently. So um, this material could be redirected to a, a much higher and better use than being simply disposed. Um, and also in some cases it might be edible, um, in which case it could be uh, given to people in need. Um, when organic waste is landfilled, it breaks down uh, anaerobically and produces methane gas, which is a super pollutant. I'm not gonna spend a lot more time on this slide, but I think it's important to keep in mind that SB 1383 is primarily a climate change bill. And as such, it relates to many, um, you know, existing environmental initiatives that are in place now in the city. Um, this slide walks through a lot of the details uh, of, of the bill. I'd like to stay focused as much as we can on what it means in relation to your existing programs and um, in changes, uh, which we will get into in the, in the next few slides. I think it's important to note that most of the requirements and changes in the law um, are just ramping up existing state law specifically uh, AB 939 and AB 1826 already required recycling and uh, the diversion of organic waste. Um, what SB 1383 does is it broadens that. So with AB 1826, you had a requirement for many businesses to begin sorting out food scraps from their garbage streams. Um, you, that program already exists, as I mentioned, and also has fairly good um, rollout within the businesses that are covered in your city. Um, what SB 1383 does is it broadens that to cover all businesses and residents. Um, and so what the municipal code update that is before you today is going to require is participation by all of those entities. Um, it also includes the establishment of a, an edible food recovery program um, you already have existing organizations in this space already. It's um, sort of amping up the, the coordination with those entities and also making sure that um, all covered businesses are aware of the requirement to, um, to donate edible food. Uh, of course, outreach and education to make sure everyone knows um, what they're required to do. Uh, some, some procurement pieces, which uh, I'll get into in a, the next few slides. Um, if there's insufficient capacity for either part of this program, uh, then you're, you're to look at that. And then also, of course, um, ultimately, the law requires you as, uh, as a city to pass an enforceable ordinance and then do compliance monitoring and enforcement on those. So if I am a business or a larger multifamily, um, property within the city, what does that mean for me? Well, the easiest way to comply is sign up for organic service. This is probably going to be food scrap service. If you are disposing of any um, uh, yard trimmings, you also should be diverting those. Uh, as an alternative compliance pathway, you could um, haul organics yourself. And, um, and if doing by doing so, uh, you are disposing of essentially very small amounts of organic waste, you could qualify for a waiver. Or 
if through normal business activities, you're essentially not generating enough organic waste for it to make sense for you to sign up for the program, you're not required to and you can apply for a waiver in that case. Um, also, if you don't have enough space to store an organics container in your existing enclosure. Um, and I, sorry, I'm gonna pause for a second on this slide and, and just note also, as I mentioned, uh, residents already have access to the program. Um, so what changes for residents? Uh, essentially just uh, amping up the education and outreach. Um, for edible food recovery, uh, only large supermarkets and grocery stores are, are covered now. And um, if they are covered, they're required to recover organic, uh, the basically the food, the edible food, um, keep a written agreement with the food recovery organization and records. Um, this is really intended as a regional program. Uh, efforts are already ramping up uh, uh, toward that re regional program, and additional outreach um, is is available now for the those uh, edible food generating businesses. Um, in regards to this, the city's requirements for uh, inspection and enforcement, um, the law requires you to look at your businesses and multifamily to see if they are um, currently eligible for a waiver or currently signed up for service or if they're out of compliance, uh, provide outreach and education to them and then ultimately um, uh, potentially enforce upon them starting in 2024. There's also a requirement to have something called lid flips, which means that somebody is going to be out and looking in the garbage containers um, in the organics containers to make sure that uh, the material that's being sorted is being sorted appropriately. So there isn't garbage in the organics container or organics in the garbage. And as a city, um, you're required to begin uh, increasing your purchase of recovered organic products. So the city, the, the state identified um, all of these new uh, sorting requirements as probably going to increase the amount of compost and mulch and other uh, uh, sort of products of this sorting activity. So um, as a city, uh, the, the state is asking you to help begin coming up with strategies to absorb that additional material. Uh, there's also a requirement to purchase recycled content paper um, that is recyclable uh, that you're likely fully in compliance with now. Um, so uh, the municipal code update essentially covers all of the outward facing requirements that I just went through. Why, why update? It's because SB 1383 specifically requires you to do so. Um, and and I think that we've covered all of these other points well enough. So I'm just gonna to proceed to the next slide. Um, you can ask your hauler to uh, take on many of these requirements and they, and they already are doing so. Uh, as an example, Outreach and Education, Bay Cities Refuse has a great flyer that they've uh, sent out already. Um, looking at the accounts to see if they're in or out of compliance, they're, they're doing a, an extensive effort now to um, revamp their data set, um, to have containers that are in compliance, which includes container labels, 
uh, doing a great job of doing that. Um, and then there are a few other items that, that you could ask uh, your hauler to do on your behalf. Of course, ultimately, most of the requirements um, do just land with you ultimately. And, uh, and certainly the issuances of notices of violation and penalties, if it comes to that, um, would, would stay on you. Um, so I know that I covered a lot of content um, and I'm happy to take any questions that you have about what I've just gone through. I tried to make it as, uh, as, as, as brief as possible, but of course there's a lot to cover here. So maybe before we jump into questions, I'll just add a couple things from staff. From a city's perspective, this is an unfunded mandate. So this is something coming from the state that says you have to do this. In addition, I think Rose covered why we're doing this, which is to reduce the amount of methane going into the atmosphere, which is, is a, it, um, it's a greenhouse gas emission and we have to reduce that in some way. Now there was an original requirement that the cities in the state of California had to comply with this uh, SB 1383 by March 1st, I believe. And um, Senate Bill 619 was brought forward so that we could issue a notice of intent to comply that was brought to the city council in the last meeting. And so that was already been submitted from a staff perspective, uh, which gives us a little bit more time to address the ordinance itself. Um, let's see a couple other things. We're anticipating bringing the ordinance to the city council on March 8th. That's our anticipation, uh, depending upon your review as well. And um, I think Rose covered a couple of these other things, which is Bay Cities is already on board with us. They are reviewing the draft ordinance. They are stepping up to make sure that this thing happens as well. And one last thing is that um, I don't believe that the state of California is intending to, to impose any uh, enforcement on jurisdictions until 2024, which allows us some time to get this thing under control to figure out how it's gonna work for our residents as well. Rose, did I miss anything? No, I think that that was a great um, additional summary there. Thank you. Okay, all right. Kevin, so, sorry, Kevin, can you, can you clarify? So, um, in a past finance committee meeting, we approved a pretty hefty rate hike from Bay Cities to handle 1383. And can you or Rose articulate the distinction between the city's requirement and the role of Bay Cities in fulfilling that requirement? Because when you say it's an unfunded mandate, um, that's true, but we have a rate hike from Bay Cities to pay for the extra work. So, and it's not like they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart, they they also have to comply with this. So can you parse some of that a little bit further so it's clear to everybody? Yeah, this is my understanding. And, and Rose, please interrupt as I may get this incorrect. You're absolutely right, Mayor, that um, the the work that Bay Cities is doing is generally covered with their, their rates, um, how much the citizens of Sausalito pay for their garbage collections uh, services. However, um, there are a few things that are, are moved towards the city to enforce. For example, if, if the city is required to enforce the um, amount of, of uh, material that's, that's uh, now food waste, or if we're going to enforce the, um, the grocery stores on how much food they divert, 
that we haven't set up yet. That's not under Bay City's uh, responsibility. That is now under the city's responsibility. Um, there are other little things as well, compost and diversion. Uh, Rose, I know I'm using the wrong terms here, so please feel free to step up. Uh, but as far as the procurement uh, of, of different materials such as, as um, compost for the city itself, that's the city's responsibility now and not Bay City's. So there are more things that the city's responsible for that Bay City's is not at this point. Rose, can you add something to that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And um, you can ask Bay City's to implement on your behalf the majority of the law. Um, there are just a few aspects, as Kevin mentioned, where um, you know I, I suppose ultimately the responsibility lies with you um you can't always ask them to help with certain aspects of it and um you know we we were engaged recently to to help you but ultimately our our scope of work in assisting you is to drill down to the specifics on each of these details and figure out what exactly it is that base cities can do to assist you um and what they can do um you know under their existing activities that sort of aligns with the requirements of the law. Okay, so I think it'd be important, Kevin and Rose, to have just a simple spreadsheet that outlines all the requirements as line items, what Bay Cities is covering, what the city of Sausalito needs to cover, and then a cost estimate. Um, maybe we need to bring that back to finance for uh, the items that the city needs to uh, oblige. Because that's not clear to me from the presentation uh, what, what the city's on the hook for that isn't being covered and what that mandate looks like and then how that might if at all play into the draft ordinance that sounds good okay all right sorry to jump in there uh, vice mayor yeah i have a couple of questions nice to see you again rose great to get the presentation uh, i was at the sustainability commission when you came and presented and that was fantastic so appreciate all of your hard work here um i have a couple of questions that are i don't know if they're for you or for kevin necessarily um I agree that having a matrix would be really helpful, but in the staff report, it looks like technically we were supposed to have the ordinance implemented by January 1st of this year, and they're being quite kind about enforcement. So are we already late? Um, so CalRecycle has said, as long as the ordinance is in place by April 1st, um, that that's the first time that you're reporting uh about your your compliance to them either way so you're you're fine do we qualify for the twenty thousand in grant funding that i believe had a february 28th or february 1st deadline is that still feasible under that extension and could we apply for it should we need to if bcr can't provide all the services yes so uh you have applied for that grant and okay. the grant also had the requirement of april 1st for your enforceable um ordinance Okay, great. So it's likely that we'll get some funding to help with whatever BCR can't cover. Um, can you, in the staff report, Kevin, it's suggested that the city staff does not recommend that we adopt a waiver program. Um, but in reviewing this and thinking about who are designated, or sorry, who are commercial, um, I'm trying to get the right the right term here for it. Uh, commercial edible food providers are um, at this point. I just would want to understand why we might not want to offer waivers or what the thought was behind that. And maybe, uh, Rose, you could also speak to communities where you've seen them implement a, a waiver and the benefits or disadvantages of doing that. I kind of looked to Rose to help me with this one. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, um, most of the jurisdictions we work with do have the waivers in place. Um, and as my presentation mentioned, the language of the ordinance also includes um, uh, the, the possibility of waivers. That's gonna be something different from uh, waivers from garbage service. Uh, so by default, you know, everyone's required to sign up for garbage service. Um, the waivers that I'm talking about are a waiver from the requirement to sign up for organics. And those are, as I mentioned, fairly um, uh, narrow in terms of uh, allowances for, for waivers. I, it's not necessarily a massive part of your program, but as an example, if you have a very small business that only has a trash cart um, in its you know, office space, um, does it make any sense for them to be required to, to sign up for, for organic service? Um, you know, it's our opinion that it's useful to have, a, a, you know, a, an alternative compliance pathway. Of course, they can still sign up if they wish to, um, but if they don't want to, uh, waiver is is a is another way that the state accepts sort of uh, compliance. Okay, and then in Kevin, this might be a question for you, or it might be a question for Rose. I'm not sure. But then thinking about, because outreach is a big part of the presentation you gave Rose, and I know that that's something that we've considered and started to do already and will continue to do as we come into compliance with this um, with this law. But I am aware that the most onus for compliance is really on those who are required to have designated food recovery programs, and that that is a somewhat new um, requirement for a law of this type and also just in general maybe within our community they're not already participating in food recovery programs did we identify which businesses are required or identified as commercial edible food providers i would imagine molly stones is, seems to be an obvious one as a large grocery store but what are the other ones and and then a follow-on to that would be do we know who the food recovery organizations are within marin county so will this be an easy plug and play or do we need to think or longer term about it so feel free, Rose, but um, the way it's been explained to me is you, you hit the nail on the head already, is that it's Molly Stones and canned goods is generally the, the idea to um, donate that type of food to certain organizations. And then restaurants are another um, approach, but Rose, you had another, another uh, clarification on that, as I recall, when you talked to me about it. Do we have a 250 plus table restaurant? Is this vinegar 250 plus tables? I don't... I thought that was the requirement in the ordinance. So maybe we don't meet it. Sorry, Rose, I didn't mean to jump That's ahead. That's right. Yeah, so restaurants, large hotels, um, hospitals, large venues and events of uh, over 2,000 people um, and in schools uh, are covered as tier two generators. So uh, those tend to be like, there tend to be more tier twos, of course, than tier one. Um, an initial effort has been made by the city staff to do identifications. We're working with the city now to um, uh, sort of compare our list, their list and, and uh, finalize the identifications. Um, uh, but we, we do have a sense already of what that's gonna look like. Um, and, and you know your city better than I do right now. Uh, so it's, it, you know, it sounds like you're, you're not certain that there are going to be many. Um, that's, that's the impression that I've had as well. Um, in terms of food recovery organizations, yes. Um, we have the city of San Rafael um, has sort of taken a lead role in making sure that they have a complete list of the food recovery organizations. 
Um, and I, I know that the uh, Joint Powers Authority is also has a pretty comprehensive website that they're intending to update with additional information that, uh, you know, who's covered, how they can comply, um, a list of the food recovery organizations, uh, things like that. So that's what I meant by sort of regional effort is, is coalescing now um, in the city is sort of on the, on the front end of the wave of that. Great. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, thank you, Vice Mayor. Um, Rose, I want to go back a little bit to the context of this conversation. So the staff report um, talks about enforcement and uh, talks about uh, deadline to adopt, enforcement mechanism and inspection program. I'm a little um, confused though, if I'm hearing from Director McGowan that we don't have mechanisms in place to enforce against some of the um, proprietors that the vice mayor just articulated, but we passed this ordinance with enforcement mechanisms, what position does that leave us in? Um, is that a problem for us or do we have to get those ducks in place before we pass this ordinance? Yeah, so I believe that you do have mechanisms in place to do enforcement activities. I think that um, what uh, may be something that we need to explore further is, is whether you have sufficient resources to do the level of enforcement that may be required. Um, but you do have, uh, you have a, a lot of time so enforcement only, uh, only begins in 2024. And I'm encouraging all of my clients right now to um, take that time to really drill down how much non-compliance you're, you're gonna have. Um, because planning ahead um, for resources that you don't end up needing because everyone's in compliance already, um, you know, is a, is a possibility and, you know, I think that if you, if you do have the time, might as well take it and make sure that you have a better sense of um, what level of effort is gonna be needed on enforcement before you um, take proactive steps. Okay, that, that's helpful. Um, so no, there isn't a problem. Um, so, and then let me ask you this. Uh, I know, and I'm glad to see that we're benefiting from your expertise as well, but I understand that other jurisdictions are utilizing your organization, um, how does this ordinance sync with what neighboring jurisdictions are are proposing or have passed? Yeah, so what we did is we took the um, model ordinance that was developed by Cal Recycle actually um, using a, uh, as a consultant, one of our employees, uh, Deborah Kaufman. So, so Deborah has had an active hand in writing all of the ordinances that we've uh, put forward for the Marin County jurisdictions. What we did is take that model, um, to trim out all of the excessive information, anything that is already existed in your code, um, and, and just in, introduce the elements that are that are most necessary and relevant. Um, and so the language that you have uh, substantially matches what the rest of Marin County has in place as well. Okay, great. Um, okay, I don't have any other uh, questions. Uh, Vice Mayor, any other questions before we open the public comment? Uh, not at this time, no, I don't think so. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, any other comments, uh, Director McGowan, before we open the public comment? Uh, thank you, no, that's kind of you to ask. 
Okay, great. All right, um, so Serge, will you please uh, let individuals know how they might be able to provide public comment? And then we'll see if we have any hands raised. Yes, at this time, public comment can be done through the Zoom application by raising your hand. And if you're using a telephone, please press start nine and we will allow three minutes per speaker. Okay, do you see any um, hands? Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised at the moment. Okay. So seeing none, we'll go ahead and close public comment, um, bring it back here. I'll just uh, ask the Vice Mayor first, any comments or concerns about sending this to City Council? Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that this is really important and like, critical that it gets to City Council before the April 1st deadline. Uh, and I, I think that it's ready to move forward given that we have extended timeline for compliance until 2024. And we have the April 1st from Cal Recycle and the deadline for the grant as well. So I would suggest that we move it forward. I think that Rose has spent quite a long time putting together the best possible version of this ordinance that's been vetted by our staff and sustainability commission. And in reviewing it, I think it will be really helpful uh, for us going forward and, and getting up to speed and doing a better job of reducing our emissions as a community. So. I'm really excited about it. I just would say that I still think it would be great, as you mentioned, to have a better idea of what BCR cannot cover so that we know how to use our $20,000 grant and we are mindful of our fiscal standing with regards to coming into compliance with this going forward. Great, I um, agree with all of that. And so I will just repeat that suggestion and request that the staff report for the March 8th meeting um, include that matrix and then also put a plug in um, now that we have some grant writing capabilities uh, in City Hall to be on the lookout for other opportunities for grant monies that may not be directly on point, but might help us with this long-term. Good suggestions. Okay. I'll, I'll see what I can do on the staff report. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you, Rose. Uh, thank you, Director McGowan. We will move on to uh, our next item. This is uh, item 2B, Senate Bill 9, the California Home Act and Implementing Ordinance. I'll turn it over probably to the city attorney. There we go. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Mayor Kelman, uh, Vice Mayor Blaustein. Apologies again. I'm a little hoarse today, but hopefully uh, we'll get through this without uh, too many coughing fits. So let me um, share my screen. All right. You should be seeing the first slide with the title of the, the item. Is that correct? Excellent. All right, so you have received a couple of reports already about SB9. You'll recall you um, had a report in November and then in January 25th, uh, we returned to you with um, the draft or actually the implementing regulations that the council asked us to put into place. So quick um, reminder about SB9. I know you've, you've gotten a lot of detail already, so I won't go into too much of it, but can of course answer any questions if need be. So Senate Bill 9, um, was signed on September 16th of 2021. It went into effect on January 1st of this year. And as you'll recall, um, it requires ministerial approval of two dwelling units of at least 800 square feet each on a single parcel within a single family residential zone. It also requires ministerial approval of a parcel map for an urban lot split to create two parcels of at least um, 1200 square feet each from one single family residential parcel. On November 16th, the council adopted uh, resolution 6108 and directed the preparation of in interim guidance regarding SB9. On January 25th, the council received that interim guidance that had been developed by staff 
and you directed us to uh, draft the SB9 implementing ordinance. Bring that to the legislative committee, which obviously we're doing today, then bring it to the planning commission for review and recommendation, and then back to the council. The dates that were um, included in the report to the council on January 25th for the planning commission were March 16th, which is right around the corner, and then returning to the council for, for consideration and first read on April 26th. As you know, you reviewed the SB9 interim guidance that um, complied with SB9 and required the application of objective design and development standards, those that are currently in place pursuant to resolution number 6059 and those that are later adopted. And I was happy to see that Bob Brown is in attendance as well tonight, um, along with your community development director and your director of public works, um, and perhaps can be available for questions if they come up regarding objective design and development standards. You're also aware um, that this information came to you on January 25th about the number of properties that are eligible for SB9 processing. Um, you have three single family residential zoning districts, the R16, R18, and R120. ADUs and JADUs are allowed in all of these districts. Um, the city has 1,022 parcels zoned single family residential, and they're broken down by the, the three districts. Uh, it appears that approximately 945 parcels are eligible for SB9. We're continuing to review the maps regarding um, high fire hazard zones and very high fire hazard zones. We pulled information from Marin Map and actually Mr. Brown is actually helping also with clarification on uh, how Marin Map designated those to determine if it's the same designations as are required under SB9 to determine which lots are uh, eligible. So again, this is the proposed schedule. I won't go over that again for you, but wanted to lay it out. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the total number of units that are allowed under S or required under SB9. Let me put it that way. Um, so SB9 requires one additional primary unit of no less than 800 square feet on residentially zoned parcels without splitting the lot. With an urban lot split, you get two lots with two primary units. So I was gonna run through a couple of scenarios and then we can of course address any questions that you have about this. So for example, if there's no urban lot split, you have a single family um, parcel in a single family zoning district that is eligible for SB9, that one parcel could have four units total. For example, a primary dwelling unit, an ADA, a J80, an ADU, excuse me, a JADU, and then the additional SB9 dwelling unit for a total of four. Or another scenario could be a primary dwelling unit, a detached ADU, the SB9 dwelling unit, and another detached ADU. Those, lot, those parcels would not be eligible for um, JADUs. With the urban lot split scenario, you have one, um, one primary dwelling unit on, the, on lot one, an SB9 dwelling unit also on that lot, and then on lot two, the primary dwelling unit and an SB9 dwelling unit. And then another scenario would be a primary dwelling unit and an ADU, and then lot two, a primary dwelling unit, and for example, an SB9 uh, dwelling unit for a total of four. The city could allow for more units, um, but that is the what SB9 requires that the city process ministerially. We're seeking some input from the committee today on um, some of the items that were uh, outlined in the table in your staff report and then also highlighted in the draft ordinance. The one I just mentioned about ADUs and JADUs, 
as drafted, the ordinance says that notwithstanding any of their provisions of this code, referring back to the ADU and JADU regulations, <clears throat> excuse me, no more than two dwelling units are permitted on any parcel created under uh, this SB9 ordinance. We included that the dwelling unit size is a maximum of 800 square feet. The city council could decide to allow larger units if desired. Most jurisdictions that we're working with have been imposing that maximum 800 square foot uh, size required under SB9. With respect to lot size, SB9 requires that um, the lot size uh, be at least 1200 square feet, or excuse me, be 1200 square feet. Um, they also have to be 40% of the original lot size. That's not an issue um, with what we're asking input from you today, but you could allow for smaller lot sizes if you wanted to. Uh, again, most jurisdictions seem to be going with the, the size imposed by SB9, which is 1200 square feet. You could establish uh, front side yard setbacks and height. Um, we've drafted the ordinance to default to the underlying zoning district. SB9 requires um, a maximum four foot side yard and rear side yard setback, excuse me, rear yard setback, which is what we've included in the draft ordinance. With respect to building separation as drafted, we're saying that they have uh, units have to be at least 12, 10 feet from any other structure on the parcel. Uh, but they can be adjacent or connected if that meets building code and safety standards. With respect to building lot orientation to the public building and lot orientation to the right of way, the draft ordinance includes provisions that new parcel lines that abut a street maintain right angles to streets or radial to the center line of curved streets or be parallel to existing parcel lines. And then with respect to flag lots, lots without 20 feet or more of frontage on a street are not permitted. Um, and flag lots may be satisfied by a driveway or private road accessing a street of 10 feet in width or more. With respect to driveways, we're deferring to the underlining zoning district regulations. As drafted, the uh, ordinance complies with the requirements of SB9 regarding parking, that you have a minimum of one off-street parking space uh, except in the instances where the parcel is located within a certain distance of a transit corridor or a major transit stop, or if there's a car share vehicle located within one block of the parcel. In those instances, we cannot require that um, parcel on-site parking be required. We didn't include anything regarding landscaping or flood control water quality issues. We were just going to rely on the existing objective standards in the um, city's existing regulations. With respect to objective standards, we did include language in the draft ordinance for your consideration regarding entrance orientation, requiring that the primary entrance to each new dwelling unit face the front or interior of the parcel, unless the unit's directly accessible from an alley or a public street. With respect to privacy um, on adjacent properties, the, these requirements were included um, that for a single story wall or a first story of a two story wall, privacy impact shall be minimized by either having a six foot solid fence on the property line or clear story or opaque windows for all windows facing the adjacent property. For a second story wall, all windows facing the adjacent property are clear story or opaque. And then we included a requirement regarding second um, story decks and balconies and uh, prohibiting, prohibiting them, um, but that's something that's open for, for communication and your community.
community development director may have some input on that as well. So here's some more of these objective standards, and I know that this is a lot of information uh, to go through, but these are the things we're looking for your, your input on. So we included things in the ordinance that state that when you're constructing a new dwelling unit on a parcel with an existing dwelling unit, that new dwelling unit um, is to utilize the same exterior materials and colors as the existing dwelling unit. Um, when two new units are proposed, they are to utilize the same exterior materials and colors as the other unit. Um, if you don't want them to be the same, then we obviously can um, change those requirements so long as they're objective. Uh, each dwelling unit constructed has to have its own separate utility connection uh, for water, sewer, and electrical. In each two unit residential development, they have to be separated by at least 10 feet, um, but they can't be adjacent to meet building code uh, safety standards. We talked about this previously. And then again, the decks, uh, rooftops, and balconies. I did want to highlight for you um, that the draft ordinance includes processing and what's required uh, to be submitted to process the urban lot split um, and regarding the parcel map. We had an opportunity to send this to the um, city's, uh, she was the city surveyor to get some input. And so there may be some modifications to this, but I don't think they're going to really impact the, um, the committee's uh, input here. They're more technical to comply with the MAP Act and ensure that we're, we're getting all the information that we need. And your public works director may be able to speak to that a little bit more. So with that, uh, we're looking for your direction um, today and so that we can return to the Planning Commission for a review and recommendation to the council and then go back to the city council um, proposed in April. So I'll stop sharing my screen unless it's helpful to kind of go back through these areas where we're seeking input, um, whatever the preference of the committee is. Great, thank you very much, Mary. Sure. Uh, Vice Mayor, do you wanna start? I have a couple of questions for the city attorney as well. Yeah, I have a few um, a few questions. Okay, so just to clarify on the parking requirement, that's one unit, one parking required per unit after or per parcel, not per unit. So if there are there's an ADU and okay, so similar to the JDU rule. And then the way that it's written now, so in looking at section nine point seven oh oh three zero, I didn't see anything written there about height objective standards. Is there some is there gonna be language that says that it's in compliance with our existing height objective standards? Because it talked about uh, the other requirements, and I just want to make sure that that's included so it's in compliance. Yeah, let me find that language for you. Um, okay. Real quick, hold on. If you look at um, section 1044350E, it okay. says that the, um, the two unit developments will conform um, to the height requirement in the zone in which the property is located. Okay. And then the, there's a section also under 97030 that uh, speaks to the proposal when you're applying for the lot split that says the public works director shall not reject an application solely because it proposes adjacent or connected structures provided the structures meet building code. Mm -hmm. But if those are adjacent structures, that's still within the 800 square feet limit, correct? Or you can add yes. them. Okay. So in total, 800 square feet all in for everything. For the new SB9 units, correct. Right. I mean, exactly. you may have an existing dwelling unit that's larger than that, obviously, but yeah. the, the units under SB9 we're proposing 
um, the maximum size would be 800 square feet unless the council wants to make them larger, couldn't make them smaller. Okay, and then the section that I just am still trying to wrap my head around based on my comments at the, the city council meeting when we reviewed this, knowing that our arena requirement is over 700 and we're actively looking for units wherever, wheresoever we can find them, it seems like the language in the ordinance is somewhat limiting to adding on as many units as we might be allowed within SB9 given our um, given what we're up against in this in the housing conversation right now. So in section three, uh, the following subsection is added to section 104480B, which says pursuant to the authority provided by section 65852, um, no accessory dwelling unit or junior accessory dwelling unit shall be permitted on any lot in a single family zoning district if an urban lot split has been approved. So right now, as it's written, we are not allowing for an additional ADU or JADU after the lot split. Right now, as drafted, and I, I was trying to highlight this in my presentation, and I appreciated that kind of that that came up on January 25th, so that we could be more prepared to address it with you today. Okay. As drafted, you know, right now you're limited to four units. However, you slice it up, um, but the council could allow more units than that if desired. Okay. The majority of jurisdictions we're working with, frankly, are going with you know if you're going to do an SB9 lot split, you get the additional dwelling unit under SB9, and you're limited to four. So it gets, you know, I've run through some scenarios with the community development director about what that looks like and, you know, how various parcels could come in and what the, the development would look like. But yes, we're seeking your policy direction on whether you would prefer to have more flexibility there. Right. I mean, I imagine I could see where adjoining communities might choose that path, but I don't think that they all have the same housing challenges that we're facing with our you know requirements and, and the built out structure of the community. So I just... Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Understood and appreciated, um, Vice Mayor Blaustein, and, and again, that's why we highlighted this for input from this committee today, and then, you know, going through the Planning Commission and the Council with that recommendation. But again, and just to be clear, that would be, uh, and maybe this is a question more for Jim. Hi, Jim. I see that you just turned your camera on. Um, if we were to allow for ADU, JADU, and the split, and the, the unit, instead of four, we would be able to get six. I just... So, so right now, if you have more than one unit on a lot under the HCD guidance, you don't, you're not allowed to have JADUs right. in those units. As you know, under HCD guidance, if you have two dwelling units on a lot, they can each have a detached ADU. Right. Um, so that those are the parameters within which we're working, and um, your community development director may have some input there too. Um, I don't, but I wanted to circle back just for a moment to the height issue, Mary if um which plays into your question melissa about adding more under the split isn't it true that if the local code doesn't allow for the minimum size of 800 square feet on the re on the um, residual lot that you have to relax any of the zoning ordinance except for a four foot setback so in other words if you had a really small lot conceivably it may go above the, um, the height limit if there's no other way to accommodate those two units on that lot that was my understanding. I might be wrong. Yeah, sure. Thanks, um, Jim. I appreciate that question. You're you're correct. If the the objective de development standards would prevent the development of an 800 square foot unit, then you you are not allowed to apply them. That right. doesn't you know necessarily mean in any way. Yes, correct. Right. Because when you're talking various scenarios, but in in any case, you're not allowed to prevent development of an 800 square foot unit. Right. So with the minimum lot size, Melissa, of 1,200 square feet, which is really small right um and you have to put 800 to 800 square foot pieces on there 
I don't know how you can physically add a JADU or an ADU um, in that scenario. But just to back up a little bit further, you know, I think the easiest way to read the intent of the state, and Mary and I have talked about this several times, is that you end up four units either way. You either end up with four units without splitting it, or you end up with four units splitting it. And when you don't split, I think that one slide, Mary, talked about two uh, ADUs, and I think it's an ADU and a JADU if you don't split. But anyway, it's so four. You end up with yeah. four. Is yeah. there a way that we could do something? Because you make a very good point about lot size and getting to the 800 square feet. And I just wonder if you, rather than add a second story, there could be an increase in the lot size. Like, would there be a provision for that where, um, or a, I'm just trying to figure out how we might be able to stay in compliance with code and add more units without falling out of line with what our standards are. If I understood the question, Vice Mayor Blaustein, um, so you're saying if, for example, the, the resulting lots are larger than 1,200 square feet, that there may be an opportunity at some size to say that those lots would be eligible for an ADU or JADU? Right, or even, yeah, or just thinking about how we might play with the 1,200 square, because as right now, that's the maximum, right? Or is that the minimum lot that's size? That's the minimum. Minimum, okay. yeah, thanks, Jen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can work through that, but because uh, it that's the, there's not a lot of square feet to work with if there's if it's an 800 square foot structure and then a 1200 square foot minimum lot. So and two and two 800s in that 1200 square foot. In the two 800 square, square foot structures has to be allowed on that 1200 square foot lot. Wrap your head around that. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out how we can create a yeah. <laughs> I, You know, I think I, I appreciate um, where you're coming from because I have the same fire in my belly about getting housing built. Having said that, this is a real, this is a um, real challenge just to implement this legislation. And I think it is going to do quite a bit to add to infill and break down the um, restrictive zoning of single family housing in California in a big way. Some people think it's an overreach remains to be seen how well this all comes down um yeah i i it's certainly we certainly have a challenge ahead of us in in terms of what our path forward is for housing in sausalito i think we we all agree with that um <laughs> i'm just checking through to see if i have other questions about pieces of the specific ordinance um i think that's it for right now but i might circle back with more after your questions mayor kalman so go ahead yeah. Um, okay. So uh, under section three, uh, we'll just go, return to that for a second. So this is a, a, pro, a prohibition, right? Um, but we could uh, create language that says, I mean, this only four allowed by right, uh, but an applicant can request a variance, right? We, there's always a path forward we could offer that doesn't necessarily need to be in the in the ordinance. Is that accurate, Jim Ramirez? Well, I, th I think, and, and sorry, Jim, I'll let you jump in. No, 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 please, Mary, I defer to you. I was just going to defer to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing is, you know, you're for ministerial approval under SB9, we would say you get these two SB9 dwelling units, four units total, however you slice it up. But if somebody had, you know, a project where they thought they could also include an ADU, they may be able to go through a, a discretionary process for that additional unit. That, that's right. Yeah, I just, I want to offer up that there's, additional ways to pursue this if we if there's a policy intention to to have more but we want to 
you know, keep some local control over how that is. Um, there are other mechanisms, right? We could also include something to allow, you know, allow for um, periodic review of the policy by the plan commissioner, by council. So even if there's an ordinance on the books, it doesn't mean we can't revisit it kind of thing, right? Absolutely. I mean, you can always say, hey, this isn't a one shot deal. You know, the, the legislature didn't say you have one, you have to adopt your SB9 implementing ordinance by the state and thereafter it shall remain un, unchanged. Right. So we could always do that. I do think though, if there's some desire to allow more units that we would want to build that into the ordinance because right now as drafted, it's, you know, you would not be able to pursue that um, additional unit under any of the discretionary processes that we have, I don't believe, because we're saying if you take advantage of an SB9 project, these are the number of units that you're allowed to have. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I'd be interested to know whether you could apply for a variance. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, right now as drafted, your, even your ADU ordinance doesn't allow for a variance. What it allows for is a different discretionary process. Um, I don't think you can apply for a variance for an additional unit, but we can talk about that. Uh, I can talk about that with your community development director. You know, variances are for things that are different than how many units you can have on a site. For example, somebody couldn't come in absent SB9, you know, two years ago and say, hey, I'm in a single family dwelling unit, a single family zoning district that doesn't allow duplexes, but I want a variance for duplex. That would not have been allowed. Okay. Unless so, it was built into the yeah. the, um, the the regulations for that zoning district, for example, you can have a, a, a you know a, a duplex with a CUP or something. So it feels like this is a little bit of a gray area because it is kind of built into the regulations for the zoning area, which is the whole of Sausalito under SB nine. We don't have that same single family zoning districts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so it might be interesting for the council's meeting or the planning commission's meeting, I guess to have some additional opportunities around where you could exercise discretion. And so in that manner, because I think the intention of this limitation and probably the reason other uh, other communities have adopted it is to say, we recognize it's gonna be a big impact on the community and not just you know visually, but also on resources and infrastructure and parking, right? And so you don't wanna just create something that has, you know, a, a ministerial and then you go, oh my gosh, I didn't, think of all those impacts. And so maybe there's a trigger that allows it to come back on a discretionary view um, that would accommodate for that. So if, if there's more information about that, I, I'd be interested to see that. And then Jim, for you, I think it would be interesting to have a matrix of um, where the vice mayor's question around these 1200 square foot lots, where are all the places that could possibly be? If we're talking about five lots, then you know it's not uh, such a huge impact to the community but if it's half the lots in the single family uh, areas it would be good to know so what are we looking at and i think we have i think rosalind already did that work or the somebody at the, the HIAC already did that work around the number of um, lots under certain sizes and i believe we're working on that list right now both in a uh, mapping way and also in a table way and so we might be able to have a column that talks about the absolute size of the lot and then sort of gives us a breaking point yeah that's yeah. right if yeah. i may mayor kelman if yes. it's okay so you know i've highlighted the 1200 square foot um uh, size limitation the sb9 also requires that the resulting lots that are split are um of relatively equal size and one of they have to be at least 40% of the size of the original lot. 
So it's an and, not an or. Okay. Would you mind highlighting that next time we see sure. it? Okay. You know what? My, I think it might be super helpful if um, the community development director, <laughs> if this department has time, is to come up with some visualizations, right? Like this is what yes. this looks like. And here's some, as we did with scenarios about how many units you can have, scenarios about, you know, various splits and what, it, what that might look like. Yeah, and I mean, there's all these, I think, unintended consequences as well as a community like ours that has very narrow streets. Um, and so when you start to add additional units that don't have parking requirements, but you have Southern Marin Fire's requirements for street width, but now you've got four additional cars because you've added four additional units. I'm just concerned about these unintended consequences around circulation or disaster preparedness. So I just, I want that information to be on the record and presented to the council as we parse through these issues. Um, okay, so let me get away from section three. Just two other easier questions. On the objective standards, I think, Mary, your, your um, presentation, I think, talked about one type of setback, but the staff report talks about front yard setbacks. Um, uh, so you wanted us to have something um, objective on side yard setbacks? So right now you're required, you have to allow, um, a maximum side yard setback of four feet. Side and rear yards are four feet. You can make them smaller if you wanted to. SB9 is silent about front yard setbacks, so we're just deferring to the underlining zoning district. Okay. Um, provided, as uh, your community development director pointed out, that doesn't prohibit the development of two units on that lot. Yeah, this is another interesting point, I think, for Sausalito because so many lots uh, have encroachments um, and some type of like parking deck tarmac. It's actually an encroachment permit on um, on the record. Uh, and so they come very close up to the setback, but you can't tell because they have an encroachment permit uh, for their parking deck to hit the road. So I'm just trying to apply SB9 to our community based on some of the limitations that I've seen in the planning commission. Yeah, that's an interesting um, example. And I think I'd ask uh, your community development director, you know, the, the, the driveway apron and the parking structure isn't prohibit the setback doesn't apply to that. I don't believe, I think it only applies to the, the dwelling unit, but perhaps Mr. Moore can answer that. I'm not sure about that one yet, sorry. We can, we can look into that for you then. Okay, great. And then just one more question. Um, so the requirements for the urban lot split um, I'm curious how those compare to the requirements for um, a subdivision, um, even if it's about two, you know, one single lot into two. It seemed, we're talking about all these ministerial permits, and then it seemed like that was sort of onerous in comparison to everything else that's ministerial. And I'm concerned um, that that's a high cost uh, effort, and it seems inconsistent with the intention of SB9. So did I that right <laughs> yeah I, and much appreciated because i do think this is a little bit of a um an area that we should explore a little bit and I, why i highlighted on your presentation that what we had in there right now um i think that you know under a pure mapping um approach you would love to have a survey and you would love to have everything laid out that becomes really difficult in sausalito and costly um, so I can continue to work with your community, excuse me, your director of public works. And I don't know if he wants to pop on and add some comments too. Um, and we can work with the city's former city surveyor on, um, what makes the most sense and look at what other jurisdictions are doing, particularly in Marin County around the submittal requirements, because right now you don't have any, 
nothing in the subdivision ordinance that allows for waiver of a tentative track map. And I think that you could build that into this ordinance if you desired. Um, but we don't, again, with unintended consequences, we don't want to run into any of those, right? So we're trying to come up with an approach that both promotes development of housing, but at the same time ensures that projects are, you know, coming in and uh, meeting the requirements and everything else. And I see your public works directors jumped back on screen. And, and before Kevin uh, weighs in, I give you an example. And so like you, Mary, I want to streamline this and I want to make it cost prohibitive. So it's like, oh, what a great idea, but look, now I got to spend $15,000 to make it happen. But at the same time, we have some aging, let's say, uh, sewer infrastructure. And if you've got, to, if you're going to add four, you know, more units uh, to a line, uh, what's the requirement there? Are we going to, you know, snake the line? Are we going to have to have hookups that are separate? Um, you know, how do we know that those drainages are actually going to be able to, um, you know, handle this type of, of inflow and outflow? And I'm just, I'm curious how we balance that with streamlining, knowing the additional impact on infrastructure. I'll let, I'll let Kevin weigh in on that, but if I can just point you to section on you know, the question about sewer. Um, right now it's drafted 1044-350. Uh, what page is it? get there. Um, oh yeah. 1044-350-F8 uh, yep. indicates that each dwelling unit constructed under this SB9 processing has to have its own um, sewer lateral basically it couldn't join this the lateral for the existing okay. and you may or may not we you know that's a big issue in Sausalito and even understanding the existing um, sewer laterals that connect to the main can be really tricky and really problematic not only for the city but also for the property owners as they try and um, upgrade their mains or their laterals so let me um, stop there and see if um, Mr. McGowan wants to add anything to that. Thanks Mary. Um, yeah, that is one of the issues I wanted to bring up with this SB9 has to do with the sewer laterals themselves, but jumping back to the maps and, and submitting the maps, uh, very good questions. I think that we were looking originally at whether we could modify the municipal code for the subdivision section so that we didn't have to include a tentative map or anything associated with the urban lot split itself. But you're right, we still have to go back to the correct procedures for subdividing properties. And that that's something I need to work with Marion and Jim to see if we can come up with something that's a little more streamlined and maybe even modifying our municipal code for um, the subdivision section itself. And then as far as the sewers, yeah, that is a big concern of mine. If you've got, let's say two hookups to a private common sewer lateral, and then you have one more urban lot split, then you've got to increase that common line to a six inch line. And that could really present a problem to some of the residents. So I want to make sure that we include that in some way, shape or form into anything that we adopt. It just, just to be clear as drafted, that ha the unit has to have its own sewer lateral. It's not allowed to join an existing common lateral or you know, existing lateral. Okay. Mary, I'm having flashbacks to a planning commission. Um, approval of something uh sorry <laughs> was, no 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 but it was a sewer lateral it was an uphill uh project Ejector. that yeah and it was fl all, all flowing downhill and they were supposed to upgrade it to the next size and they didn't upgrade it and they tied into the sewer lateral and they didn't think they had a sewage spill but they were having uh backups and issues like that um so that's kind of where some of this comes comes to mind yeah so again just to be clear as drafted each new unit would have yep. to have its own lateral and you know we may get some resistance from the community to that given but you know 
I think that's important from the city's perspective and then that we also understand where they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. Agreed. Okay, thank you for indulging all this. Um, Vice Mayor, any other questions before we take public comment? I had a question that just came up as a result of this conversation. So in thinking about how we might be smart in where we can add units and also taking inventory of the existing, for instance, maybe there's only five 1200 square foot lots. Would it be possible in writing up the ordinance to say something like, if a lot size is a minimum of 3000 square feet or 2400 square feet or 5000 square feet, an additional ADU can be added. Uh, could we include that? So are you speaking to the resulting lots after a split um, or a lot that you know is taking advantage of SB9 and not splitting but adding another unit? So it's splitting already. It's got to be at least 1,200 square feet. That's the, the minimum size. And then, but could we say if it's a larger lot, so say you are a single family homeowner with a 5,000 square foot lot, which we might see in the inventory. I mean, I would need to see the inventory to understand what the number would be to make the most sense for us to get the most out of these existing units and know what would look appropriate and, and feel appropriate from the standpoint of where you could actually fit a unit feasibly in a safe way, thinking about the disaster preparedness concerns that the mayor brought up. Um, but I would, but if we wanted to, in addition, establish a secondary standard for the addition of a, of a third, what is essentially a third unit, right? An ADU and then get a maximum of six rather than four subject to height subject to lot size we could do that if we wanted to you could yes okay so that would potentially further streamline the addition of units according to a specific lot size you could also at that point add height restrictions because you're outside the purview of sb9 you could then reinstate height restrictions so that you're not going in that direction if you're adding density Okay. Well, just to be clear on that, though, we're, we're saying, you know, it's the height of the zoning district. So that restriction's there unless it prohibits development, right? Thank, so I don't think thank you're you, thank we're not taking you. away height restrictions. Thank you. Yet. Thank you. Yeah, it still is implementable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I would really like to see the matrix have an understanding of what our lot sizes are so that we might be able to make that appropriate consideration. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if it's feasible to add a third. Oh. I think the city clerk is not muted. I don't know that it's feasible to add an ADU onto two additional units on a 1200 square foot lot, but where it is feasible, if it could be streamlined again, I think given the challenges that we're facing with housing, that's something to consider. And, and frankly, our serious need for more workforce housing, teacher housing, our police and fire, all of that. So anyway, I'm trying to find any considerations we can. That's it, that was my only question. Okay, great, good ad. Uh, good discussion, thanks everybody, thanks staff. Uh, why don't we go ahead and open up to public comment? And I do see one hand, sir, so why don't we go ahead. Madam Mayor, would you like me to read how to provide public comment or just move on to public comment? Uh, it looks like just, uh, we have a hand up already, so why don't we go ahead and take public comment? Sure, um, Sandra Bushmaker, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm trying to wrap my head around how to get two 800 square foot units on a 12 foot, 1200 square foot lot plus an ADU. <laughs> it's, it's, it indeed is a dilemma. I've got a couple things that I'd like to suggest. Uh, when this goes to the city council, I would really appreciate if the staff report contained a, uh, 
a list, if nothing else, of the difference between SB9 and this implementing ordinance. What is distinct on this ordinance from SB9? Otherwise, why do we bother with an ordinance, right? Um, so th that would be a very helpful enumeration. Um, I have always been concerned about SB9's impact on the uh, infrastructure, and I think that those are intended consequences of SB9, I'm afraid. They're not unintended consequences, so I think that's something that we need to uh, really address. Also, the, I, I raised this before, uh, the, there seems to be in the statewide discussions that are going on about SB9 implementation some disc discrepancy between whether high fire zone districts are exempt or not. And I've raised this issue before, and I would like to have that issue addressed. According to the meetings that I've been attending statewide, the uh, conclusion seems to be that as high fire zone districts are not exempt from SB9. And I know our staff has repeatedly said that they are exempt and I would like to see that clarified. Uh, also, I would like to just raise the issue about uh, addressing the deed restrictions for affordable housing with a lot split. Uh, this may be something the city doesn't want to confront, but it was raised in the statewide meetings as a power that the city could retain. Um, and lastly, I would like to uh, ask if the city intends or should intend to consult with um, HCD with regard to the SB9 numbers counting toward our arena. And I know that's a very volatile issue and requires uh, some uh, attention, but I think those are things that we should be addressing. And I suspect we'll get more public comment on that. So that's all I have for right now. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Um, it's a really great point, Sarah. Let's let's take more public comment, and then I'm going to follow up for the city attorney. Our next speaker is Pat Zook. Pat, you've been unmuted, and as we share your video. Thank you. Um, I am a little confused as usual. Uh, SB nine specifically uh, calls for the addition of units at least 800 square feet in size. That's a minimum. Your ordinance and Mary, your comments refer to a maximum square footage of 800 square feet. I'm wondering if that is deliberate or if that is a drafting error. Uh, if it's deliberate, it's deliberate and that will result in structures of exactly 800 square feet throughout the city, the minimum of S9 and the maximum per Sausalito's ordinance. That's number one. I'm, if you want to interrupt me, Mary, and say I'm, I'm yeah, I am indeed confused, and that is uh, not correct. Please do so, or do so after I'm finished. Um, this ordinance doesn't address the result of any administrative approval denials. The SB9 ordinance does call for a variety of exemptions when things are supposedly too restrictive to permit the development of at least 800 square feet. I can see where someone comes up with a floor plan or a footprint that, uh, you know, I can't do it any other way. What happens then? Uh, does Is there some determination by the staff that, yo, you could in fact 
fit an 800 square foot parse, uh, lot split on this? Or does it go to planning? Or do we just throw up our hands and say, oh, you say you can't do it, so do what you want. That's number two. Number three, I did spend a lot of time looking at the fire thing, the fire exemption personally, and SB9 itself doesn't mention any specific exemption for higher fire zones. But if you look underneath the, uh, the zoning to which, uh, you know, to the other regulations to which SB9 refers, yes, there are uh, mention of high fire zones, and those zones are set by map. And the map is, uh, and I'm not looking at it specifically now, but the map is some sort of fire map, Cal Fire or the local fire district. I am wondering if we could be afforded reference to exactly what map the city is using to say that there are 77 parcels that are in a high fire zone. The underlying zoning, the underlying regulations give the city permission to remove parcels from a high fire zone, but not to create without fire department approval, high fire zone exemptions. I could go on, but don't. <laughs> so please comment on the 800 square feet thing. Thank you, Pat. Um, okay, yeah, I thought there was a lot of good questions in there. I jotted down um, four or five of them. Mary, why don't you, if you can, can you hit the, the fire zone exemption question um, first and uh, how you think we should be handling that, what map we're relying on? Sure, I can tell you um, uh, what I know and then maybe ask if um, either your community development director or perhaps um, if Mr. Brown is still with us, he can jump in too. So um, Ms. Zook is correct. SB9 itself doesn't specifically mention high fire or very high fire severity zones, but what SB9 does is refer to the criteria for eligibility <laughs> under SB35. Specifically, um, it is the government code and city, the city uh, Serge, I think you're not muted. Um, sorry about that. Let me get you the exact language. So government code section 65913.4, and then you have to go down to, I think it's B6. And then it's um, section D. Um, so it refers to properties within a very high fire severity zone as determined by the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. And then, or within a high or very high fire severity zone uh, also refers to maps created by the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection under the Public Resources Code. Um, and what we've done um, to date is I believe relied on Marin map and how those um, designations are listed on Marin map. So staff is currently working um, to determine how Marin Map makes those determinations to see if they meet the criteria of um, SB9 and the related SB35. And I'm happy if Mr. Brown wants to jump in. Um, he's been in contact, I believe, with someone from Marin Map or um, is going to be in, and might have some more information for us on that. Um, I actually, about a couple of minutes ago, I just got an email response from the uh, the Fire Prevention Authority. So I'm, I'm looking that over. Uh, there does seem to be a discrepancy between the CAL FIRE map, which shows the very high fire uh, uh, sensitivity zones, and Marin map, which breaks that down into high fire and very high fire. So again, we're just trying to get to the bottom of 
whether or not the Marin map layers were authorized uh, by the state. Okay, so um, I'll just make the request then as this goes to Plan A and City Council, if you could address the some of the dialogue tonight, both in terms of the map and how we intend or your rec staff recommends we intend to deal with fire zone exemptions, that would be helpful. Um, okay, the um, another question that came up that was interesting was uh, deed restrictions for affordable housing with a lot split. Um, Mary, have you looked at that? Yeah, we have been doing some work on that, uh, Mayor Kelman, and um, you can, can provide some communication to the council about um, uh, re requiring affordability covenants. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, opportunity for us and that way we can continue to measure the number of units in the affordable housing uh, matrix uh, per HCV. So I would ask that that be included in the future staff report as well. Sure, um, Mayor Kevin, let me yeah, definitely work, work um, toward that and I think um, we'll be able to bring forward some communication to the council on that. Okay, um, I, I was trying to wrap my head around um, Pat's question about the units at least 800 square feet, um, or is it at least, or is it a maximum? Did you have a, a response to that? Sure, so if you look at um, draft ordinance section 1044-350-E1, new dwelling units constructed under this chapter shall each be no more than 800 square feet. So they can be less than but they cannot be more than, they do not have to be exactly 800 square feet. They could be 750. Yep. And the council could provide direction that you want to allow for larger units. Um, so that was one of the areas identified for input from, from this group and then uh, moving forward. Uh, given you know, the discussion you've already had about um, small lot sizes and the difficulty fitting in an 800 square foot unit, um, you may want to keep that in consideration too. But SB9 provides that the, the, the um, smallest unit you can require is 800 square feet. So the council, for example, couldn't impose a requirement of a 700 square foot unit. Someone could voluntarily come in with a project that's 700 square feet, but we can't mandate it. Got it, okay. Yeah, this sounds like probably just a, got caught in a double negative kind of uh, language. So maybe we'll just add some clarity to, to that. I, yeah, I mean, it clearly says no more than 800 square feet. I'm, I'm not sure where the confusion lies, and I'm happy to talk with Masuk offline if that would be helpful. Oh, it was just the way you reframed it to say that the smallest you could require would be 800 square feet. Right. I know I know it sounds like you're saying the exact same thing, but it was like the inverse of it and somehow made more sense in my brain. Oh, perfect. Well, that's why I did it that way. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and then there was, a, I think, a last question about what happens. Is there any type of discretionary... Uh, work stream if an applicant says, hey, these don't fit, um, but I want to, you know, under SB9, I think I'm entitled. What is the, what is the workflow on that? So, you know, um, using the community development director's example of height, you know, that, that was an interesting one. Um, I think we would have to have an applicant almost prove that it's impossible to develop the unit given the restrictions and then propose the, the most minimal uh, variance, if you will, from those restrictions. Um, but right now that would all be processed at a staff level. We can continue to look at that and I'd be happy to work with your community development director on what that process would look like um, and you know, come back to you either to this group or as we bring it forward to the planning commission, provide more information about that. 
Yeah, I guess you can anticipate that all the questions we heard today will come back up again at the planning commission. And so if we could, I think direction to staff would be just to try to respond to, to all of those. Um, so update the staff report with that information. Oh, sorry, Madam Mayor, didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, it's okay. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, the only, I think one question I have for, for the legislative committee um, is whether you want to see this again, or if you just want us to, um, we can talk about that at the end when you get to your recommendations. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Um, uh, are there any other hands up? Hold on there, a second. Uh, Jim, let's just close public comment. Actually, there was one other um, question that uh, Ms. Zook had asked about um, how many units under SB9 will HCD allow? And I just want to circle back and address that. Right now, HCD has not been telling us, uh, giving us much direction at all. And I think they realize that they've opened up Pandora's box by inadvertently rezoning mm -hmm. all these single family lots where there's a high opportunity for units to come in. So I think they're sort of backed off, but we're not getting thorough direction now. I do think we should try to get as many credited towards ARENA as possible since the zoning has been inadvertently done through SB9. I think that's really an important approach, but we don't know how lenient HCD is going to be. So whatever we do propose, we have to be mindful that it has to be real. Great, yeah, agreed. That's an excellent point. Thanks for that, Jim. Yep. Um, okay, Serge, any other public comment? Hands up. Madam Mayor, there are no other hands raised. Okay, so close, close public comment. Um, turn over to the Vice Mayor. Any other comments or direction uh, to staff? Sure, I'm, I will just reiterate what I've said, which is that we all know we're in housing crisis. We need more workforce housing. We need housing for our teachers, our police, our firefighters, for ways to make our community more inclusive. So I'm an advocate for considering every possible avenue to uh, in increase some opportunities for housing with regards to SB9. In thinking about the restrictions around the lot size, I think we need to get really creative. So I would like to see, as mentioned and asked by um, the mayor, a, a breakdown of what are our respective lots that we're working with because the idea of putting two units and an ADU on a 1200 square foot lot is is seems I am also as Ms. Bushmaker said still trying to wrap my head around that how that might uh, how that might fall out but I um, I would like to see considerations for that and what options we might have to be able to add those units and I would also really like to push staff to work with with um, the state to see where these might match the arena numbers, because if we can meet our arena numbers through the already required SB9 zoning, then that would certainly make our situation as we move forward with the housing element a lot more tenable given that the numbers are so high. So I think there can be a lot of wins with this if we make the right decisions with our implementation of the ordinance. And I think we can, because we have really smart staff. So we'll see where we go going forward. By the way, one other metric the state HCP uh, uses, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob or Mary, but they also want to see what your success rate has been in the last year with ADUs and JADUs, and then you can multiply that going forward. So, and we are getting, starting to get, we have one application in under SB9 and one, one circling right now already. And we're doing analysis on how many were permitted over the last year, um, and in addition to anything built over the last year. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, obviously we have data about ADUs and JADUs, but not data about SB9, and it'll be interesting the interplay between projects that desire to go ADU versus SB9. You know, it's it's a little bit of an unknown. Yeah, uh, you just added another thought uh, to the staff report. Uh, I would love to see the data on ADUs and JADUs. Uh, as many well. have been developed. Oh, sorry, Mayor Coleman. 
Yeah, in, in the staff report for the next uh, go around um, for planning commission and for the city council. I personally don't need to see this again at, at ledge. Um, I'm happy to send it on. I think we've given good direction. Um, and then I want to just echo the vice mayor's point and Jim's point that we need to get as many credits as possible. And so from a policy perspective, um, I think the staff report should include some uh, suggestions, recommendations about how we might approach HCD. And I guess I don't know if the word petition is the right word, but really work with them to um, have some preliminary idea of the approval. I mean, if, if from a policy perspective, we're looking to add additional units, um, those need to be recognized. And we wanna know that going into this. And right now it's, it's blurry. Um, DeNovo from HEAC has told us that they don't, they don't know the answer to that yet. And, and I think if we are going to do something um, slightly different here in Sausalito, if we don't keep the four limit, um, which I, I actually think is the right thing to do is to keep the four limit, but add discretionary uh, opportunities. But from a policy conversation, uh, we should also be pushing HCD and so I'd like to see staff's analysis of that. May I ask you a question there, Mayor Kelman? Yes. Because while I understand that these two items are integrally related, the housing element and you know SB9 and ADUs and all the rest of it, uh, given our schedule to bring this SB9 ordinance forward, I frankly don't know that we're gonna have an answer for you about how we're gonna treat uh, SB9 units in the housing element and perhaps your community development director has more information on that than I do. I think that belongs in your housing element discussion. Agreed. So let me clarify. Um, thank you for that. This is not what I was requesting. Okay. What I was saying was a recommendation from the planning director uh, as to ways that we might approach HCD to push for that. Um, so that we, when we are evaluating this as a policy perspective, we are knowingly having that intention, not whether HCD will agree with that or not, um, or, or some type of crystal ball around that, but that we believe from a policy direction, we should be asking for that based on SB9. Okay. And right, to, to my knowledge today, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, they've been really recalcitrant in giving any information out, but I'm sure we're not the only people that would be pushing them. Yeah, it's something as simple as, you know, look, there's a lot of potential units. Um, we believe Sausalito should be asking HCD proactively to get these to be credited. It, something as simple as that to, to link these things together. And it, if I'm, oh, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to mention for everybody's um, uh, remembering that JDUs are repurposing already built space. It's densifying within the built environment. So it's kind of a win-win when you're talking about JADUs. It's a different beast than ADUs, which are either attached or detached, but outside of an existing shell. So JADUs are kind of a wonderful thing because you're densifying within the already built environment. And Melissa, you might keep that in mind in terms of the increasing the density and the split. If you're doing just the JADU addition, you're not going outside of that two 800 shells on the 1200. It's, going, it's densifying within that built environment also. Just comes to mind. If, Thank if, you. If I may, um, Mayor Kelman, I'd love to work with your community development director on that because right now HCD guidance says that if you've got multi units on a property, you are not allowed to have a JADUs. So oh. you have to work through that. <laughs> but it, I, I agree with you. It's a less intense from a, a development perspective, you know, an actual sticks in the ground perspective because it's interior, but we may have some hurdles that got we it. have to get over there. The other That's thing I wanted to point out and I appreciate um, your city clerk reminding me of, of this, that the annual report to HCD on your um, progress under the housing element, your existing housing element and the general plan should be coming forward to the council uh, soon. 
and that will include your production numbers of AD, ADUs, JADUs, and other housing units. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, okay, well, that was a great conversation, everybody. Um, Vice Mayor, anything more to add before we adjourn? Nope. Okay, staff, need anything more from uh, either of us? So other than to say thank you, I know it's a lot to wrap your head around and there's a lot of kind of interesting permutations and crossovers between ADU law, SB9, SB35, what's the map look like? It's, it's a lot of information and kudos to your staff too for you know diving in and, and doing the hard work to bring this ordinance forward to you um, today. We really appreciate it. Agreed. And I think um, if we beef up the staff report for the planning commission and the council, then we'll address a lot of these issues. I think that's sort of the main direction from today. And if we could just have a tiny bit of leeway, um, Madam Mayor, Madam Vice Mayor, you know, we're scheduled to go to the Planning Commission on the 16th, which is basically two weeks from Wednesday. I don't think they have another meeting until um, April 6th, but we might need to let that March 16th date slide to April 6th if necessary to get more information and have a more thorough report. But I'm happy to work with the Community Development Department, DPW, to make sure that we you know, bring forward a mo the most robust, robust report possible. And then even then, if we didn't go to the Planning Commission until the 6th, we'd still, you know, on calendar, be able to get to the council on the 26th, unless the Planning Commission wanted to see it again. You know what, I'm probably, sorry. Let me, let me tweak that slightly. Um, my recommendation would be to stay on uh, target with the Planning Commission for that date, get to what you can get to, highlight or bullet out the others, because I'm pretty sure the Planning Commission will have additional um edits to make so let's get it to the planning commission on the schedule and then see where we are after that sorry jim you're gonna add no i'm good thank you okay thank you all right thanks everybody 11 31 i appreciate it uh see you soon thank you bye-bye oh shoot mary are you still there mary i am just